Once again, we were lucky enough to have Chris Plank of the Sooner Radio Network on the show. Um, this time it was just Hithliday and Chris sitting down and basically finishing out uh, the offensive roster review before they dive into the Sooner defense. Overall, I thought it was a great interview. And uh, hey, why don't you follow him on Twitter at Plank Show, P-L-A-N-K. And while you're there, why don't you follow us at Quack12 Podcast and then follow our other guest, Hithliday, at Hithliday, H-Y-T-H-L-O-D-A-Y, the number one. All right, without further ado, let's get into the Alamo Bowl preview. Okay, let's talk about the wide receivers. Um, so, uh, most notably, the uh, most targeted receiver, Jaden Hazelwood, number 11, um, will not be playing in this game, right? Right, yeah. He's off to Arkansas and uh, not playing in the bowl game, <laughs> so he's done. So, and uh, the other one, uh, who I believe is in Transfer Portal 2, is uh, Austin Stogner, the tight end, number 18, right? right? Yeah, and he's uh, off to South Carolina, so he's out as well. So Rattler, Hazelwood, uh, Stogner, and that's it on the offensive side of the ball, uh, with the possible exception of Rain might be injured. Right, right. And and Rain, by the way, I as soon as we we wrapped up, you know, talking about, you know, Rain, I kind of started digging into the depth chart a little bit. And he's listed as an or, you know, huh. him or Conjol. So that's a good sign um, that he's on the depth chart because that means at least he's uh, giving it a go. Uh, yeah, you know, like, like I was saying, you know, it's, it's by far the biggest drop off between, um, a starter and a backup on my tally sheet for Oklahoma on offense. And, and, um, I don't know, it's, it's funny. I was sort of making fun of PAC 12, um, right. uh, offensive linemen. I saw, you know, during they picked the, up another the one. break. Yeah. McCade <laughs> Metower from Cal uh, I, and Chris, I I'm, I'm willing to bet that you can guess my opinion of his quality. <laughs> Um, hey, let, let me ask. Let me ask you something. Just out of curiosity, Hathaway, because um, when when you talk about a seven point difference, is that a, a score difference for Andrew Raymer in your grading system that um, you see the difference that he makes? Uh, I, I okay. It, well, both. Um, okay. What I am talking about is I I, I, uh, I tally every play outside of garbage time and everybody right. gets either a, you know, did his job or did not do his job. All 22 like dudes on the field. Um, well, actually I wasn't grading the other team for Oklahoma. I do it for the PAC 12. Cause I'm right. Know, both those teams are relevant to me, but like TCU is not relevant anyway. Um, uh, and so, you know, when I come up with error rate for somebody, that's really all I mean is that the dude was on the field for, oh. you know, if he's on the field for a hundred snaps and on 12 of them, I think that he screwed up, uh, then he's got a 12% error rate. I like it's, it. it's just that dumb. Um, I, I stole <laughs> all of my, my charting system from Tom Osborne, um, the former Nebraska coach who wrote like seven books about football and taught me like everything about the game. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah. Uh, I've got Rame as about a 10.7% error rate, which uh, ain't bad. It like under, in my experience, under about 8% is an elite offensive lineman. Um, and between like nine to 11 is pretty good. And then huh. anything above like 15 is like danger zone. Um, so uh, uh, Rame comes in at 10.7, pretty good. Uh, Conjol comes in at uh, more than 18%, which is, not good. not good. Um, <laughs> and like, as you were talking about, and I totally agree with the center is a, 
extremely important player on the offense. Um, you know, he's the only dude who touches the ball on every play um, because well, they're all wildcat snaps, although not really in this offense. Uh, and, and, you know, he's calling out the blitz protections. He's on the center of the line, um, literally. And uh, unless you're off tackle, but they right. don't do that either. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so I, you know, that, that I think that's the biggest single, you know, potential, you know, effect in the game. And then uh, the other thing that, that I would say is that in terms of estimating how big of an impact it would have in the game, I think that there will probably be, uh, there will be one drive where if Rame is the one snapping the ball, he will avoid a mistake. The drive will continue. They will score a touchdown. But if Conjol is the one snapping the ball, he will make a mistake that will be a drive killing penalty. And therefore yeah. seven on the scoreboard points come off the board. Uh, that's the way that I, I meant it. I, I generally sort of, oh, you I know, when I, when I try to figure out impact of player substitutions, I try to, you know, put it in the terms of like, who's going to make a drive killing mistake. Um, okay. It, so like, I've been saying this to Oregon fans all year long about Anthony Brown as a quarterback is like, he has, you know, accuracy problems sufficient to account for about seven to 10 points off the, like figure out how good Oregon is versus their opponent now subtract seven points as the Anthony Brown accuracy tax. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. So anyway, uh, let's talk about these wide receivers. Jay, Jay yeah. Hayeswood. I, I don't think it really comes down to a, you know, take seven points off the board, you know, kind of deal. Uh, but I'm, I'm kind of of two minds about it. Uh, on the one hand, Oklahoma does a very good job of evenly distributing the ball. Um, sure. There's nine different you know, receivers, wide receivers, tight ends who are getting, you know, steady catches, you know, five of them get between 30 and 40, very, you know, narrow band and another four of them get between 14 and 18, you know, like it's, yep. it's a nice even distribution um you know unlike you know another team that i profiled this year ohio state where like every one of their throws is going to two wide receivers um <laughs> and like dudes transfer out and go to alabama over it you know anyway um not the case for oklahoma so hazelwood being out you know i very very and stogner i it's definitely not the case like oh oklahoma's not gonna have anybody to throw to because they don't you know they're, they're out their top wide receiver like no way they've got tons of dudes who are all very experienced getting the ball and like even if you go down to the backups you know like west and and uh and some of these other you know uh, some of these other guys you know have gotten plenty of experience you know darby got a, a touchdown jackson yeah um yep. actually uh, one thing before we uh, before i flip over i just because i'll forget otherwise drake stoops i don't think i saw him in recent games what's the story there uh he has a groin injury oh. and he so he missed and in fact it's kind of interesting that you caught you know brian darby filling in because darby made the touchdown catch against Oklahoma State in Bedlam on a route that had kind of been Drake's route, you know, yeah. and, and it would have been a Drake Stoops play. So it's a good catch on your part. But, yeah, he battled what Coach Stoops told us was a bit of a groin mm -hmm. injury, but it, it looks like – now, again, I, I, Coach Stoops I don't think is being too secretive about things. Right? He's not hiding injury information. But based on everything they had told us – before they left and then since they've been down there is he's he's practicing and back and looks like he could be ready to go on on wednesday okay uh but whether he is or not i, I right. sort of i don't think it really affects anything because you know darby's a fine backup so are jackson so are west um i i think maybe stogner being out might affect things because he was starting to really get some catches towards the end of the season um i think he's more effective as a pass catcher than willis um but uh, you know and i don't know what jackson 
and Sumlin's, you know, productivity, you know, because we only saw him like a couple of snaps, you know, I don't know how often the staff is going to want to put three tight ends on the field, but like, I don't think they'll be able to. What do you think about that? Yeah, no. And, and I, I will say, I find this interesting. I, I know when, when we talked a little bit more in depth about some offensive line personnel, I talked about the two guys that we have on our broadcast crew, which really, you know, I, 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 I say steal uh, Hithliday. I blatantly steal most of their information. <laughs> and so my, my man, Teddy Lehman, who is on our broadcast team, he has made Braden Willis his offensive player to watch. Hmm. In this game, because they think and and Caleb Kelly, who's, you know, it, you know, you charted it number 19 for the defense, played a lot, got hurt in the Baylor game. Career yeah. is over, but he's doing some media stuff with us. And he even pointed out, he's like, hey, you know, I noticed some things in practice where it really seems like they're trying to force him the ball. So, you know, maybe it's a game to where you see, uh, even though brain's not your prototypical tight end size, uh, but he like looks the part right when you see him like, damn, that guy's built. So um, I think you're going to see them use Braden Willis quite a bit, but that's a really good observation on Austin Stogner. You know, this was a guy that just had not had a very good season and it was a, a, a debilitating injury that he had suffered last year. And he had, Oh, a- I didn't know that. What happened? Yeah, yeah. So he got, if, if you go back and watch the Kansas game, I mean, not like you would need to, but late in the game, you know, Oklahoma's dominating and he gets undercut and it just, it, 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 it tore up. I believe it's his knee. And when he had his surgery after his surgery, and he even ended up suiting up for the bowl game, but after his surgery, they had, um, infection. They had, I think it was a staph infection. There's a lot that's been written about it. So his recovery dude, um, was not good and it took him a long time to get back. So all all that to say, I don't know if they ever got 100% Austin Stogner until later in the season, I think you started to notice it. And listen, he was a favorite of, of Spencer Rattler last year. And I, th- my favorite stat, I love to point out, I think whenever he went down, he had 25 catches, 20 of those 25 catches were either for a first down or a touchdown. You yeah. know, he was, he was a go-to guy. So yeah, they're, they're going to miss him. And especially well, because he had kind of started to put it together. Um, but it'll be very interesting to see if they do kind of try to force the ball. I mean, he really he really knows how to use his height. Like that was yeah. the thing that was impressive. It's like a couple of catches where it's like that would be a 50-50 ball if it were a wide receiver and a DB, but it's a tight end and a shorter safety, and he's got like two feet on him, you know. And it's like there's no contest, you know. Right. Um, and you know, who knows how much they're gonna miss that. I just I wasn't seeing that at Braden Will Braden Willis, and he yeah, was no, playing no. a lot, you know, is what I was saying earlier, sort of like I sort of feel like playing a tight end and and a slot receiver in this offense, you know, if you have Hazelwood, Mims, Williams, uh, Woods, Darby, Jackson, West, like if you have, you know, you should just be going for a wide. I mean, it's the biggest structural difference that I see in the passing offense between this you know, Lincoln Riley's and Mike Leach's, which, you know, I've studied for years is that like in Mike Leach's offense, something like 70% of the passes are going to the inside receivers. And in Lincoln Riley, it's the opposite, you know, something like 70% are going to the outside receivers, just like Stoops and Willis were just not getting kit very much. And then Stogner sort of takes over and all of a sudden he's getting passes. And I'm like, it's hard for me not to read something into that about Willis. You know what I mean? No, no, I I completely understand. And I think, you know, one thing for Braden Willis that has been, 
interesting is he too has battled the injury bug. Yeah. You know, he had a really nice catch against Oklahoma State for a touchdown, but for the most part, he's battled injuries. He even got dinged up, missed, uh, I think, a, a couple games this year. So, you know, now he's got a chance to go out and make some plays, but he's yeah. not going to be that guy that goes over the top of you for 50 50 balls. You're 100% correct. And then Jeremiah Hall is much more of the H back. You know, he's mostly blockers, although he's got a couple of catches that are sort of like th- it's they're engineered you know what i mean like i'm not trying to take anything away from him but it's like they're fun to watch and there'll be clips of it in my article where it's like this play is set up to get you to think run but it's an rpo pass to haul right you know i i dig that sort of thing but it's not really his bag to like run out like a wide receiver and catch passes it's like you know built in structurally became a big time security blanket for for caleb williams down the stretch this year but yeah he's not gonna I love Jeremiah Hall. He's he's on your all interview, all good guy team, but he's probably not going to be a guy that's going to just flat out beat you. You know, you got to they diagram some stuff up that make him a tough matchup. Yeah. So you mentioned the term safety blanket, which is I want to get back to the wide receivers with, with you know, the potential impact of Hazelwood's uh, absence, because if there is something significant here, I think it's that I, I sort of oh. got the feeling and I want to know your opinion that sure. like Hazelwood was sort of Caleb Williams, you know, safety blanket for most of the year that like in case of trouble, throw it to Hazelwood, he'll catch it. Um, and I wonder if you noticed the same thing. Yeah. And I, I think part of it too, is that Jane Hazelwood you know, it's, it's kind of weird to talk about him in the past, right? Because it's it's wild to me that he's not a part of this team because, you know, he kind of – he stepped up and really became a vocal leader on this team when they desperately needed it, right? I think it was – I think it was after maybe the Nebraska game or maybe after the, the, the Texas game, Lincoln Riley pointed out and he pointed out how he had spoke to the team. So it kind of stood up and said, listen, I don't care about my numbers. I just want to win. And that was just that resonated with me. And he was, I think he was also a guy that caught everything, you know? So you felt pretty good when you threw it to him that you knew he was going to go out and make a catch for you. So uh, I think that factored in a lot. I think Caleb Williams, there's two guys that I felt like he had a a ton of confidence in, and that was Marvin Mims and Jane Hazelwood. But I I don't know what you saw. You know, they moved Mims inside this year. And I think he mm-hmm. kind of struggled at times to get familiar with the physicality of that inside receiver position. So yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that's a good observation on Jane Hazelwood. And now, you know, I, I think the interesting part of the receivers is come Wednesday, are we going to see Theo Weiss, who we hadn't seen all season long and battling the injury? Does he become that guy that steps in now and replaces Jane Hazelwood? Yeah, that, that was going to be my next question is because yeah. I, I haven't seen this, this guy at all. What's the, what's the report on Weiss? I think you'll like him. Um, if 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 you know if you really want to dig, I'd say go back and watch the 2009 Baylor game. I'm sorry, 2009. It's not like a 30 year old's playing in the game. <laughs> the 2019 Baylor game. You know that was. It's interesting. All right, a, a backstory, and I'll try not to to filibuster too much. But Jaden Hazelwood, um, Theo Wees, and Trajan Bridges, all five star receivers all signed with Oklahoma heading into the 2000 and I believe 19 season, right? So much hype. I mean, this was Hazelwood was, was committed to Georgia and Dennis Simmons, the outside receivers coach went and snatched him. Wees and bridges were already coming in. They were three guys that you thought, Oh my gosh, the future is so bright. Well, Hazelwood gets hurt. Wees is kind of stuck on the depth chart behind CD lamb Trajan bridges 
gets busted for testing positive for weed right before the wow. uh, Peach Bowl. So he, the three of them, I don't know if the three of them, these five-star Ballyhood recruits, I don't know if they ever had an opportunity to truly you know, be active for the same game, right? They're, they're from Hazelwood's injury to 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 Weiss, who was hurt last year, but it stayed pretty healthy throughout his career. To Bridges off the field problems. So let's fast forward this preseason. A lot of buzz around Bridges, having a great camp. Guess what? Gets arrested. Boom, <laughs> off the team. Not just him, but Mikey Henderson, who had been a guy that, if you go back and watch that 2020 tape, pretty impressive dude at the H back tailback position. So you lose. The, the receiver that had been the most impressive guy in camp. Then Weiss gets hurt. And so finally, Jaden Hazelwood, who had left the team before the Cotton Bowl last year, he had opted out of the bowl game and some thought he might transfer, ends up playing and has a good season. So I guess that's a long way to get to. These were three of the most hyped guys maybe that we've seen coming into the Oklahoma Sooner program in quite a while. And now we'll see if one of them can't kind of carry the torch for the other two who are no longer with the team. Bridges never took a snap this year. He was kicked off the team before the season started. And obviously, you know, Jaden Hayes would have the good season, but has transferred out. So Weez is a good, big, strong guy, continuing to add to his frame. He's an emotional player, but a quiet guy. Uh, and I just, I feel like a very sure-handed dude. So to me, I think you're going to see him if he plays get the ball thrown to him a lot. I think Oklahoma wants to keep him happy. Like they want to keep Caleb Williams happy. Mm. And I think he's a guy that is, if he's active, he'll get a lot of balls. He can go up and get those 50, 50 balls too. He's a big kid. He's an outside receiver then. Yes, sir. Yeah. 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 That's the, that's what I've been trying to figure out is is if if Hazelwood's out and I think you're right about Mims moving inside and he's frankly he's better as an outside receiver. I agree. Uh, you know I was trying to play out scenarios. Well, let me just you know put it to you this way. Okay. First first drive of the game, uh, Oklahoma's got uh, uh, one running back and four split out uh, uh, receiving targets. Who would they be left to right? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think I think you would factor in Willis in there somewhere. I think they would have yeah. the the tight end in there somewhere. But um, Trayvon West, Theo. Well, gosh, I don't know if Theo's going to be healthy. Trayvon West, Mike Woods, um, probably Marvin Mims, and then uh, Braden Willis in some way, shape, or form. If they're so, going for now, now obviously we'll see kind of how healthy Drake is and if we see Brian Darby more. But let's just if, – if I were to say just four receivers in general, I'm, I'm overcomplicating yeah. this. Trayvon West, Mike Woods, uh, Marvin Mims, and likely Drake Stoops. Those would be the four that I would say you'd see out there the most. And then if Weeze is ready to go, he'll get an opportunity as the game progresses. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just crazy because, you know, it, it's not Mario Williams, you know, like, I, you know, I, I, I'd be Mims, Williams, Woods, West, or Mims, Williams, Woods. Uh, listen, Weiss, you're probably you know, right. Like, yeah, uh, and, and, and on this too, with I, I think you hit on something good, and I can't believe I left out Mario Williams. I think he's a guy that, will really benefit in what Jeff Levy is going to do. I think he's got a chance to be a breakout player next year. But, yeah, you're, you're probably right. I, I think Williams would be the other guy out there with him. Maybe maybe not Drake. Maybe um, maybe not um, – well, no, maybe not Drake. Yeah, I Because I, Mims – pardon me. Mario's an outside guy. Yeah. But Trayvon West was listed atop that depth chart. So that kind of makes me curious. And I know that 
the previous staff loved Trayvon West. So I can't help but wonder if he's caught the eye mm-hmm. of some of the guys who are still around and helping out right now. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, and then last thing, we've gone this long and not talked about the running backs, kind of because, you know, what's to talk about? Kennedy Brooks is one of the best <laughs> running backs I've ever seen. I mean, he's just incredible. Yeah. Um, and uh, Eric Gray, I, I guess I would describe him as a capable backup. I mean, he's not Kennedy Brooks, but he's not bad. Uh and I think that's it, you know, the, about worth talking about for the running backs. Do you, anything else to add? No, um, I, I would say 24 Marcus Major is is a guy that uh, has caught the eye of a lot of fans because when he gets the opportunity, he's very physical. He's an Oklahoma kid. Um, but I, I don't know what it is. He just hasn't been able to crack the lineup. I think he fumbled when he came in the game late against mm. Texas Tech. And, you know, that's the, that's the cardinal sin with this coaching staff. So, um, yeah, you know – Maybe if the game rolls in a different direction, maybe you see a Jade Knowles, but no, no, this, this running back conversation all year has been about Eric Gray and obviously more specifically Kennedy Brooks, who we assume is playing his last game as a Sooner. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, he's very vocal about, you know, he definitely yeah. wants to play in a bowl <laughs> game. Um, it's just, you know, I, I don't mean to dump on Eric Gray, but it's like any snap that's not handing the ball to Kennedy Brooks feels like a wasted snap, you know, like, uh, and, you know, I sort of feel like Gray's in there just to give him a breather and not because he really like adds any, you know, extra dimension to the game. Do you think I have that right? Yeah, and I think the, the one thing they like, here's what they like about Eric Gray is they like his professionalism and he's got he's got a little um, he's got a little burst to him. The problem is. I think he had a couple of, of, of frustrating plays early. You know, he had a decent game against West Virginia, um, but uh, he wowed during the spring game. But I just – I think it got frustrating for him at times. And I don't know if that was the, the few snaps. I mean, he had the – I mean, just a heartbreaking play where he's feeling the punt inside the 10-yard line and, and fumbles it and gives Oklahoma State a, a go-ahead yeah. touchdown. But it, it's hard for me to say anything negative about Eric Gray because, dude, he's one of the best interviews on the team. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I'm always rooting for him to do well because he's such a good interview. But, no, no, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Kennedy Brooks is their, is their bell cow. He's their go-to back, and he's the guy who should get a majority and will get a majority of the carries. You're right. All right, let's switch over and talk about the defense. Um, uh, so we talked about it a little bit, um, but just to reiterate, you're not expecting any real structural changes here, You know, even though Alex Grinch is not going to be around uh, calling the plays, right? Yeah, no, uh, it's going to be Brian Odom, and he's going to call the plays. Brian Odom and Joe Arcane came back from obviously starting their career – or starting their career, starting their time at USC to help coach this bowl game. So, yeah, you're going to see speed D, Alex Grinch. Um, what have you, in the time that they've been there, uh, thought about this this defensive structure, this defensive coaching staff? Yeah, it's. It, I, I hate to see him go. You know, I know. Don't now. Let me be very clear. I am over the moon, excited about Brent Venables and what he's building, and I'm team. I'm team Coach V all the way. Uh, but these guys, they really, they inherited a really tough spot, right? You go back to, you know, their first year here was was 19. And you think about those defenses in 17 and 18. I mean, it, I mean, Alabama and and Georgia were able to do whatever they wanted offensively that Mm -hmm. probably cost Oklahoma a shot at a national championship with Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield. I mean, it's just, it's heartbreaking. Um, But there's a lot of us who felt like at, at points this season and maybe through a majority of the season, the defense was the best part of this football team. Really? And, that's yeah, that's a credit to Alex Grinch. And, you know, you go back, I, I know that it's, you know, it's all revisionist history now and everyone's kind of moved on past this season. But for the sake of this bowl game, I mean, they don't 
they don't beat West Virginia. And, and it's funny because <laughs> the Oklahoma's defense couldn't get off the field against West Virginia. Mm. But then in the same vein, they didn't break, right? Yeah. It, 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 it's weird. It makes no sense. But uh, by the way, they called it speed D. You know, Roy Manning brought some great energy to the corners. Brian Odom brought an attitude to the inside backers. Jamar Kane, their outside uh, edge rusher, uh, defensive ends coach was great. Calvin Thibodeau did a great job in the interior. And then the architect of it all was, was Alex Grinch. And he brought a very unique enthusiasm to it. So they helped change the game for Oklahoma defensively when they needed it. Now I think this program is ready to take that next step, but, but it's still going to be speed D on Wednesday. So I, you know, I didn't do any film study of, you know, those, those playoff teams, you know, for several years under uh, Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch. Um, you would say that this defense has been better than those years? Um. Oh gosh, that's that's a tough question. For for twenty twenty one, it's so weird. I guess it's a matter of perception, right, and expectation. Because coming into the season, this was supposed to be um, a defense that was rivaling what Bob and Mike and Brent had back in the days, right? Bob mm -hmm. Stoops, Mike Stoops, and Brent Venables, and it just never really materialized, right? Tulane was able to move the ball on him. Nebraska was able to throw the ball all over the field on him. I mean, it's just there. But then again, there's those moments where you look back and you think, well, defense played well enough to win um, a couple of, the, uh, they played well enough to beat Oklahoma state and they just couldn't get it done. And it's 75%. If you were to look back and take, Three or four quarters in the majority of these games, that defense looks elite. But it's that one quarter, and you're like, what in the world just happened? And again, that's not the case for every single game, but there's like these 15 minute spurts, you know, where you look at a, a, a drive that started the game or a drive that ended it, and it's just, you're wondering how that's the same defense that was shutting a team down. I feel like they adjusted well at times, but then at other times, just these fundamental things, you know. They couldn't tackle. I go back to what hey, that's said the thing quick. that that really gets right. me. Is, you know, I I was not particularly sanguine about this defense. You know, for on my tally right. sheet, there's there's only one game in which the defense plays better than the offense, and that's ironically oh, wow. enough the the Baylor game. Um, and uh, although I really don't know how good Baylor's offense is, for, you know, I, I really only watched them in that game, and I was like, sure. how did this team win eleven games? Like this <laughs> offense looks terrible. Um, anyway, the uh, the the. The th but 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 what you just said the fundamentals that's the thing that, that gets me like I think there are there are some schematic things that I'm not wild about in this defense the fact that it never gets out of a three three five structure depend you know regardless of how the offense lines up I think there are ways to manipulate it I don't like the way that the the you know, there's no edge contain like the, 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 the dude, the end man on the line of scrimmage always goes inside and the outside contain is responsibility of the ILBs. And there's lots of ways to manipulate that. It's the reason why so many quarterback runs to the outside were so successful. It's the reason why yeah. zone read, you know, is really effective against this defense. Like, I think there are some schematic stuff that I got complaints with, but you know what? I got complaints with every scheme in college football. The thing that, right. like, you know, knocked my socks off when I was watching was I was seeing so many tackling problems oh. and just like get off, you know, block destruction, you know, like, like these guys can't generate a pass rush when they're only rushing for like they have to blitz to get a pass rush um or nick benito needs to pull off a sweet move but i'm not <laughs> gonna see nick benito unfortunately on wednesday you know what i mean yeah. um like I, I i felt like you know the fundamentals for coaching this defense were were you know I watch Pac-12 teams all day, man. I'm like, this is like I'm watching a Pac-12 squad. Like, <laughs> this isn't like watching a blue blood. What's going on here? I, do you think I'm off base or what no, do you think about that opinion? I, I, I think if you were to say um, 
have a fan cast on this, they'd be, yeah, preach more. We can't oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, this, this, because, well, and it's not wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong. Fans were very frustrated by that. And oh, fans are frustrated by everything. I, well, this, this is a fair point. This is a fair point, but it just, it really seemed, and I don't necessarily know the, the, the best way to put it, except this, there were fundamental breakdowns that you just did not expect to see from a team that was this experienced, whether it was poor tackling, whether it was the lack of being able to, to set the edge, you know, you go back the, the West Virginia game, I mean, Oklahoma won it, but it's one of the most frustrating games ever because literally Mm -hmm. West Virginia ran the same play over Mm -hmm. and over. It was that slant and they never were able to adjust to it. So, yeah. And And then with Kansas is outside, you know, this quarterback runs just like, you know, you know, against the, you know, the scariest team in the the big 12, right? Because if you lose to them, you're going to get fired. Uh, The the Kansas Grim Reapers, you know, and here they are running the same quarterback run play. play. Well, there's two, there's a quarterback draw play in in a, in a zone read play but every time it's because you know it's because of the structure of the defense and and it's like you know you know ilb safety you need to come down like harder yeah, you need yeah. to recognize this you know just like wow uh yeah, it didn't really I, okay, can i say one, one thing you said right, about yeah. the kansas game was one of my favorite moments from this season even though i mean it, it worked out well they won the game but after the game uh one of our analysts said the the play that kansas ran to score its first touchdown is the easiest play to defend period and in fact i think he said it's a stupid play like yeah. you sh- and and kansas ran it with ease against oklahoma a couple of times so that's such a i mean you're you're it's so weird to kind of look back at these moments where you're like oh this defense is better but yet you look at a game like that kansas game and you look at a game like the fourth quarter of the Oklahoma state game or the fourth quarter of the Baylor game, or, you know, half of the West Virginia game. You're like, what in the world is going on? This team fundamentally looks like it went to the sidelines and just forgot things. So I think that was very frustrating for everyone involved, not just the, the, the coaches, but the players. And I think it was frustrating obviously for the fans because you saw them do it. Right. And then yeah. for some reason it, it couldn't consistently be replicated. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's so streaky and hot and yeah. cold. I mean, like I, I want to save the defensive backs, you know, towards the, the end. I sure. usually talk about the defensive front first. Um, but like there is no player in my mind that exemplifies that more than Delaren Turner Turner Yell, the mm-hmm. defensive back, who I think was like not available for some of the there there's a whole DB switch around. We'll yeah, yeah, we'll get her. to that later. Mm-hmm. But like he comes in, in in like the back half of the season and in like every single game that he plays in, in the back half of the season, he either gets a, a turnover or forces a fumble or, you know, like he's in on yep. like six or seven turnovers. And it's just like, this guy's a hero, you know, like, you know, he's, he comes in wearing a cape, you know, to save the day. And then on plays that are not generating turnovers, he's like whiffing on ankle tackles every time. And it's like <laughs> this guy on my tally sheet has the weirdest grade I've ever assigned yeah. where he's like, he has the one of the highest impact scores, like game outcome impact scores that I've ever assigned. But then on normal plays, he has one of the lowest grades. Just like, yeah, there's an Oklahoma defensive player for you. He'll either make the play that, that changes the game or <laughs> he'll miss a tackle. You know? <laughs> That's the case for a couple of guys on this team. Defense, um, you know, it's just you see these moments, and and you you're right. I, I know you want to hit on the defensive line, so I'll save some of the DTY stuff uh, until later. Delarin Turner, y'all, they call him trouble, but it's it's so wild to think about these moments, and it's just replicating it. You see, man, you see guys that are just awesome, 
and in 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 moments. Then you see guys where they're kind of turning and pointing at each other and wondering what the heck just happened. So yeah, yeah it's it's it was a a frustrating endeavor, I think, for a lot of people this year. Okay, so um, the departures, I, I believe four guys departed for the NFL. Um, one, uh, I believe you mentioned already the outside linebacker, Caleb Kelly. Looks like he's right. injured and unavailable. He's and then uh, a linebacker, Jamal Morris, who I don't think we've seen. I think Hopper in the por- portal. I don't mm-hmm. think that you know impacts anything. Um, so the the four NFL departures are uh, the defensive lineman, Perry and Winfrey and Isaiah Thomas, uh, the outside linebacker, uh, Nick Benito, uh, and the inside linebacker, Brian Asamoa. Have I got all that right? That's right. That's the four. Um, were you surprised by any of those departures? Um, you know what? I was actually, I was a little bit surprised by Isaiah Thomas because he's an Oklahoma kid. Mm-hmm. Um, he played at Memorial High School and had actually, you know, he was – I'm gonna make sure I do my math right. Bob's last year was 16. I, I think Bob Stoops was integral in, in recruiting him, uh, him and, and oh. Mike Stoops at the time, because he was a, a track guy. <laughs> and they're like, oh, hey, really? you, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and was a good football player and was a track guy. And they're like, you're you're coming to play with us. And I was kind of surprised by that, but you know, Winfrey didn't surprise me at all because and and boy, Perion could use the tape. I wish he would have played. I. It was about to say the same thing. I really think he could have used another year of development oh. time. Same with uh, Asamoa, the inside Asamoa. linebacker. But you I, can I, see I, the flashes, but like there's just a little oh, more development that needs to happen. Right. You know, I, I think what per, you know, Perion thinks he's going to be a, a first round pick. I don't think so. But you know, I mean, to if me, he can stop jumping off sides on every play. <laughs> he's pretty impressive. He just, gosh, he, he that that was an issue all year long. But to me. I think if I was Asamoa and Perion Winfrey coming back for another year and especially playing in, in Brent Venable's system, I think could have been a round or two difference maker for them. And, and again, I know Asamoa's size mm-hmm. is going to hurt him. But, you know, Benito, he was ready. Um, I, I can't wait to see how NFL scouts evaluate him. I think he was the first guy that announced he wasn't going to play in the bowl game and was turning pro. But, yeah, the, two could have used more time. I understood what 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 Benito was going to do. I wish Isaiah Thomas would have, but I I get it. You know, he doesn't want to risk an injury going forward. Okay, here's how I rate what I think the impact of those four um, guys okay. being absent, or five with Caleb Kelly um, being absent, is going to be. I don't think that. Uh, uh, Winfrey's departure is that big of a deal simply because they've got a ton of dudes who can play that position who got a bunch of experience, right? Josh Ellison, Corey Roberson, Jordan Kelly, Isaiah Coe. We saw Laurent Strokes. Um, we saw uh, Jalen Redmond, you know, mm-hmm. be able to play inside and outside. Like, I, I think they've got a bunch of dudes who can play that role. I think that Isaiah Thomas hurts a bit because, well, he's the guy on the defense who graded out the best on my tally sheet. Like he, that dude will independently make plays. Um, I think number 40, Ethan Downs will probably replace him. I think he grades out pretty well too, but the problem is I don't know who's behind Downs. Um, And I sort of think there's, there starts to become an edge problem because Nick Benito is a, that's a playmaker and Kelly, you know, would be, you know, his backup. I, you know, I'd be worried, you know, you know, it's down to Reggie Grimes, Ethan Downs. And then I don't know who else is going to play off the edge. Marcus Stripling, I guess. Yes. Yeah. So um, the as the depth chart goes, you've got Grimes and Downs on one edge. And on the other side, you got Stripling and a guy named Brendan Walker and a freshman number 20 named Clayton Smith uh, to keep an eye on. This guy's a physical hmm. freak, 6'4", 232, but he's still learning football. You know, they he's, he's, he's going to be good next year. But I would say the guy that is most impressive to me or that I'm most intrigued by is Grimes and Downs. Um, 
Reggie Grimes, if you get a chance to listen to some of the Alamo pressers, do it. This is a, a big kid, 6'4", 258, just has this big, deep, booming voice. And hmm. always seemed to make some plays. Um, he was a 100-snap guy last year, which kind of surprised us as a freshman, uh, and then found his way in the rotation more. That you know, One thing that I failed to mention on Speed D, one of the things that they – kind of the lifeblood of it was they rotated players like crazy. You know, their idea was – you know, you're going to be fresher if you play fewer plays. And we've, we've got, you know, 22 that we're confident in on the defense. Now, I don't know if they ever got to 22 guys they were confident in. I mean, in. they were definitely doing that and for the inside backers. Yeah. And they were doing that for the DBs. And they were doing that for the interior defensive linemen. But they yeah. were absolutely not doing yeah. that for the outside. I not mean, it was, guys. It, it was Benito on basically every play and, and yeah. down for Grimes on basically. And, and, like, I don't think we saw that, you know, the two guys you mentioned are Walker and Smith to be watching out for as the other guys on the edge and yeah like, they, they were hurt um and, and and again brendan walker had been battling injuries i don't know um what his future looks like a local kid bishop mcginnis but i do know that everyone's pretty high on the athleticism of clayton smith i think he got in one play very early in the season and forced a fumble against like western carolina but i mean mm-hmm. bryson washington had two picks in that game so <laughs> yeah i mean it's just it, it's one of those things where Everyone likes what he looks like when they see the pictures. It's like, oh my yeah. gosh, who's number twenty? But we'll see if we'll see how much we see of him comes come Wednesday. Uh, yeah, I guess we'll have to keep our eye on it because you know, like I said, I'm you know, I I think I've got about twelve snaps total between yeah. Stripling Walker right. and Clayton Smith. Not much. Know, it, it, I will find out. Um, and then for the inside backers, losing Brian Asamo, who's the leading tackler, um, you know, yeah, we, we, guy too. we talked about him a little bit, you know, uh, I definitely, you could see like leader of the defense, you know, qualities to the guy, but you also saw flaws in his game too. I, like I said, I think he could have used another year of developmental time. A lot of rotation here. We saw a ton of Deshaun White, uh, Shane Whittier, uh, Danny Stutzman, David Ugwabogu. Um, oh, Ugwabu. Good. That was a good Ugwabu. guess though. Better uh, than I did my first time. Uh, um, I, I have a hard time differentiating any of these inside linebackers. I sort of, you know, all of them came out with basically the same grade for me, um, which was okay, not great. Um, do you disagree? Do you, do you think any of these dudes is an obvious standout? He's going to be a starter. Watch out for this dude. He pushed Brian Asamoah out the door. I, I'm so fascinated to watch it because I think there is a guy in Danny Stutzman. Now, the problem is Danny Stutzman is a very, very true freshman that suffered a very serious injury this year and oh. um, somehow bounced back. Uh, I, you know, just in talking to some of the coaches, I think for all there, there's freshmen all over this this roster that had played a lot early in the season and then you didn't see him much as the year progressed which you know like where did Latrell McCutcheon go where'd Billy Bowman go mm. where'd Danny Stutzman go and I think I think they were swimming a little bit I think there was a lot you know that and obviously it's not going to get any easier in Brent Venable's scheme for for these inside backers yeah but I think Danny Stutzman has that it to him uh, but we'll see. He's got to prove it, right? He's got to show it. He's not afraid to get his face mask dirty. Um, he, he's still learning a lot. But I, I think that's the guy to keep an eye on because he's got he's got the kind of personality that people gravitate towards. He's a funny kid out of Florida, lightly recruited. Brian Odom found him. And this is the last game that Odom gets to coach him. So I think you're going to see him be a guy that I think – you know, if he's healthy 100%, which it looks like he is, can be a difference maker. And you mentioned Shane Witter. The thing to, to note, first of all, Shane Witter looks just like Caleb Williams. I don't know if these two 13s <laughs> have been in the same spot at the same time. But the thing I would say about Shane Witter, he's one of the fastest guys on the team. So, I, which is wild for an inside backer. So he can chase you down. But Yeah, that's pretty unusual. Are, 
Yeah, th- those would be the two guys I'd say to keep an eye on. You know, Deshaun White's going to do his job. Um, you know, David Aguebu has a lot to prove. He moved from outside to inside last year. Um, so he's been learning that position, I think, getting better at it. But no, 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 you are got to watch the guy who could end up being a difference maker, I think, is 28, Danny Stutzman. Uh, so the, we've talked about a couple different, uh, defensive backs. Let's jump to the secondary. Um, so I, the thing that I, I noticed a couple different position switches during the year. I, I think what you mentioned, Billy Bowman, um, right. who for a stretch of the year was playing an outside cornerback. I don't think, well, I think he's a very talented guy. You could definitely see the speed on the field. Um, I think he's a true freshman, and I don't think he's built true. to be an outside corner. And he was just getting smoked, like, a lot. Um, and then at, at some point, they basically pulled him off the field. They moved Key Lawrence, who's a safety, uh, over to play, you know, corner. And that's about the time when Delaren Turner Riel, you know, resumed the field. And we sort of got, you know, what I – and then and then Woody Washington, who had sort of disappeared, you know, then he sort of came back. And I, I sort of think that by the end of the year, we had settled on a defensive backs group of DJ Graham, Woody Washington, Key Lawrence, uh, Patrick Fields, number 10, and Laren Turner Yell. I think those are going to be the starting five in this bowl game. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and, and just a, a couple of quick notes for context here, because you're, you're on it. The uh, Woody Washington got hurt in the Western Carolina game, uh, ah. had a groin injury. Yeah, and he was out a majority of the season. In fact, you know, I, I had been told he wasn't going to come back, and then lo and behold, there he is starting a game uh, in the final two weeks of the season. So your starting quarters to start this season, you know, you, you had Woody Washington, DJ Graham with Pat Fields and DeLaren Turner yell at safeties. And uh, at the time, Jeremiah Cradell, who was a highly recruited kid that hasn't been healthy this year, I don't think he's taken a snap. Yeah, and I Billy don't think Bowman. I saw him. Yeah. And, and Billy Bowman battling for nickel. Well, boy, they battled injuries, ineffectiveness. You saw Latrell McCutcheon out there at corner. Uh, you know, they like Billy Bowman's athleticism. So when he was struggling a bit at nickel, they moved him outside to corner, and that didn't work, um, unfortunately, for him because it's tough, right? He's he's never had really played corner. He was a, a safety slash nickel back, so it was a whole different world. But, you know, I, I think if, if we're looking at, you know, Wednesday starters – DJ Graham uh, or or Key Lawrence with Woody Washington on the other side, Pat Fields or Laren Turner yelling, probably 25 Justin Broyles mm-hmm. at nickel. But I will say this, uh, you brought up moving guys around. They did. They had to experiment a lot. I mean, it was constant, like every game. Yeah. It was, I, I yeah. you know, I had to like pick out who the you know new five starters are and they were playing like different positions. I mean, you know, we haven't even mentioned Jaden Davis, who who I think has like 20 yeah. percent of the snaps on my tally sheet, you know, or, or yeah. you know, McCutcheon sort of disappears. Bryce Washington, like you mentioned, had a couple of picks and then we never see him again. You know, it's like it, it's, it's this constant. And, and I understand that, like the injuries were, were part of it, but I also think that it looked like they were kind of swimming, you know, to use. Your yeah, time. they were like, swimming big time. And, and it's wild because, you know, Roy Manning. Uh, is a linebacker, and I think this was the first time he had coached corners, and I think oh. he was really good at it. But I, I also, I also think this this group has all the talent in the world, but just for some reason, it always seemed as if anytime you know you you were you were talking to Roy about his group, or or maybe if we had any responsibilities to where we were around practice, it was the, the corners were getting extra work and Roy was talking about his guys needing to grind. So yeah, it's, it's a really good point. You know, they, they, they had key Lawrence at safety. They shifted him uh, to corner and he had a really good game against Texas tech, but then struggled yeah, that next week against Baylor. Um, it, it, again, they, they had a few injuries, but 
know, Jaden Davis, I'm trying to remember. I, I, I want to say it was maybe it was Texas, but he got a start one game and went out and then we never saw him on the field again. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it's stuff like that. It's like every week I got to. <laughs> right. It was, it was weird, man. But, you know, I, I feel like that they have a bright future there, but you're going to see them all. You know, that that's one area that hasn't been affected by opt outs, you know, knock on wood COVID issues right now mm-hmm. um, or any transfers, you know, that that the. The, the guys in the secondary, that's one position group on this team that is the exact same as it's been all season long with at least the personnel. It's just all the guys have been yeah. moving all over the yeah, place. It's just all and, over the personnel, positions. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a couple of there's a couple of ways that they're coached. It seems like consi- like I'm seeing the same technique out of multiple players. It makes me think it's coaching like the way that they do coverage. You know, it, there's it's a lot of disguised zone coverage where they present man at the snap and then flip their hips and run kind of, like, kind of backwards. And you I don't know. I've seen receivers get them turned around. It's interesting. And the other thing that I see uh, all the time is they'll play trail coverage they'll sort of like give up the pass but then they don't give up on the play they run up behind it and like slap the ball out of the dude's hands i've got like seven or eight yeah like dramatic pass breakups where it's like oh my god 40 yard pass oh no <laughs> whack the yeah. ball out of his hand you know that's got to be coached like i'm not seeing one player do that like i like every defensive back has one of those it's crazy every game every game right um but yeah so it's you know i i don't think that they were Poorly coached, but it's kind of what I was getting at and bragging about Roy Manning and Alex Grinch coach at the safeties. I just, I think when you look at inconsistency and obviously losing Woody Washington to injuries hurts quite, hurt quite a bit because, mm-hmm. you know, he kind of was the guy that stepped up last year and became their best corner. Um, I just, I think it was a situation where it was just probably amongst the most inconsistent group on the field and you had arguably the smartest guy in Pat Fields back there trying to trying to engineer everything for the secondary and it's just injuries re- really hurt him and inconsistency yeah. just debilitated him. I, I agree with you about Fields. He grades out the best on my tally. Number 10 we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, he, he grades out pretty well on my tally sheet and he's in on a, a whole lot of plays. Everybody else sort of, yeah, there's a lot of inconsistency out there or stuff like we were talking about with DTY where it's right. like he's either making an interception or he's missing a tackle and there's no great area. <laughs> All right. Is there, we, have we missed anything on the defense you think is worth mentioning? Um, not, I, I think you've done a really good job of breaking it down, to be honest with you. I, I, I think the only thing that will be very you, – you, you hit it on the head with the interior of that defensive line, right? I mean, that's going to be one of the things that is so, so interesting um, to kind of see how that interior rotation is used. From my, And you hit all the names, Isaiah Coe, Josh Ellison, um, Jordan Kelly, among others. They're all ballers. And, you know, with that rotation, they, they throw a lot of bodies out there. So I don't think you'll miss Perry on too much. But, yeah, I, I'm, I'm real interested to see – how aggressive they are, right? You know, are they going to send a little bit more pressure? Will Brian Odom dial some things up? I think how they play is going to be as interesting as who plays on Wednesday. Yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see how they uh, how they well how the edges play. Um, right. yeah. I think that in between the personnel absences and sort of structurally the way this team the way it elects to to set the edge i think there's stuff that oregon's offense um yeah. could I, I you know because i've charted every one of oregon's games too like there's a lot that oregon likes to do um with that sort of thing you know that's that's what i'm you know if oregon has a shot in this game which honestly like i have no idea what level of motivation the team has or you know who he's even going to be playing but like I, I feel like there's a real opportunity there um if things go down the way that i about you know regarding oklahoma's personnel go down the way that i 
think, um, and, and where they could really surprise me uh, would be, you know, off the edge in the defensive line. Everything else, I think I've sort of got, you know, a pretty good idea for how Oregon matches up with them. And for me, that you know, I think the game's going to be determined right there, you know, how yeah. uh, Oklahoma sets the edge on the outside runs. Um, all right, uh, Chris, I, it's been great talking to you. Uh, you too, man. Uh, let us know how, how people can can get oh. more of your work. Well, Hathaday, just hit me up on Twitter, man. Uh, at Plank Show, go give me a follow. Um, I love talking college football. I'm uh, every day from 90 noon central time here in Norman. We're talking college football every single day on my local show. And you give me a follow and um, we'll have a good time talking college football. And I can't wait for Wednesday night. Hope we uh, get a game. Hope we don't have any COVID issues that shut this bad boy down, especially after today, all the work that we put it in. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, it's been a pleasure regardless. Uh, you know, even if all we did was uh, talk talk shop for the entire uh, <laughs> for a meaningless right. game, it's been a good time talking shop with you. Well, and, I've, and I've really learned a lot from you, so thanks for your time and uh, call me anytime. Take care. Quack, 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 quack.